Welcome to the Symmetry Podcast, a home for conversations about faith and humanity that are designed to help people grow. My name is Brad Collins. And I'm Ben Laboot. And we're your co-hosts for this show. We are thrilled to have as our guest today, Rabbi Adam Grossman, the CEO of University of Florida Hillel in Gainesville. Adam is known for his entrepreneurial spirit and his love of innovation. And to start off, uh, could you tell us about what UFL does and what your role is as a rabbi and as CEO? <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's a great question. Uh, so uh, Hillel is a organization, probably about an 80 to 100-year-old organization that was originally created on campuses uh, to offer Jewish students, uh, I use kind of a, a secular concept, kind of a ministry uh, on campus for Jewish students. Uh, as with faith overall, it has evolved uh, tremendously. And I think in today's marketplace, um, as faith is becoming less um, less important to individuals, and I think as people are more and more challenged by the idea of God in their lives, um, and, and how God can meaningfully play a role in, in life. You know, do we have free will? Are we taking things into our own hands? What is this conception uh, of God and the reconciliation of realities that have taken shape over the last hundred, if not uh, thousands of years? Can we believe in the archaic God that exists? Um, so what, what happens is, is we have to evolve these institutions. I came here um, on the cusp now of five years, I'm working on my fifth year, to completely deconstruct the classic model uh, of what was typically just a solely religious idea, it, it, the classic religious notion, um, to really rethinking it in a model that is um, focused on amplifying uh, student voices, so finding our inner voice and amplifying that um, through a Jewish lens. Uh, what does that mean? It means that Judaism isn't just about a people, uh, although there are Jews who follow Judaism, but it's about a way of life. And what does having a Jewish way of life or living a Jewish life uh, entail? And that includes, uh, there was a famous rabbi, a, guy by the, a rabbi by the name of Maimonides, who was in the uh, 1200s, who said the highest form of sadaka. Uh, Sadaka can either be translated as righteousness, which is an obligation, or charity, which is more of the heart, the idea that uh, we help an individual uh, become self-sufficient. So I think our role here is to help individuals become self-sufficient. It's led to really focused in um, providing unique experiences, um, uh, socially impacting the community in a meaningful way, um, inspiring leaders to do that. We do a lot with career advancement, so we become really a career advancement center um, focused on uh, local and global opportunities, both internships and full-time employment, and then emotional intelligence growth. We live in a world where colleges are really great at providing knowledge. Um, They're not great at transferring that knowledge to wisdom, which includes practical experience and emotional intelligence growth. So how can we help individuals through that space of emotional intelligence growth? A few kind of cool ventures have come out of Hillel. The Selling Factory is housed here. Yes. And then Hillel also incubated Career Up. Yeah, so, uh, so how we kind of frame this and what we really thought of at the beginning is, um, is a great, um, 
guy, uh, Simon Sinek. He actually created a great TED Talk. Are you guys familiar? I, I talk about him all the time. Yeah, I love, I love, I, I, the, golden, the golden circle of why, he's one of my favorite people. Um, but the, the whole essence is, is, right, why do you do what you do? What's your purpose and what's your passion, right? And uh, a lot of companies, a lot of nonprofits, a lot of people are focused on just what they do. Um, and if you don't have meaning behind it, and I think this leads to faith as well, if you don't have meaning behind it, uh, what, what's the sense of it? What's the, what's the reason for it? So we had to refocus this entire organization on the why. Why do we do what we do? Which led to how we're going to do it and ultimately what we actually provide. Uh, so what that led to, as, as we thought of the why, um, which is amplifying uh, student voices, um, and, and really from a Jewish capacity, maximizing uh, Jewish engagement, especially from the disengaged and disenfranchised, and, and maximizing connection uh, to Israel um, for, for anyone. And so once we understood that and the how, we understood we could do that through unique experiences. Uh, that's travel uh, overseas and that kind of stuff. People love to travel. Social good, um, career advancement and emotional intelligence growth. Those are, those are relevant to the marketplace that we serve, which is 18 to 22-year-olds that are going to the, the school, University of Florida. Um, and what did that ultimately become? Uh, it's not just having services. There are a, lot of, a lot of places can offer holiday services and, and weekly, uh, weekly services, and that's not why people are coming uh, to connect with, with an experience today. The individuals who are connecting in that space already connected. Yeah. And mm -hmm. what we know from Jewish statistical analysis is that's about 20% of Jews. That's not a lot. That means 80% are not connecting. Um, so we had to reframe it. And what that led to is we really were entrepreneurs uh, or entrepreneurs, right? <laughs> Rethinking the, the current models that exist. One of the things that came out is Career Up Now. It's incubated here. It's actually a national initiative uh, to inspire soulful conversations to lead to organic mentor mentorships mm -hmm. by bringing 30 uh, students and 45 industry leaders in specific um, market verticals or business verticals like finance and real estate or uh, entertainment and um, high tech, uh, uh, civic responsibility. And it's really a national initiative. So we have a hub in Los Angeles. Uh, we have a full-time employee in Los Angeles. We're seeking to build those hubs now in San Francisco, Atlanta, and Boston. So it's ironic that this small little town, right? Uh, but it's, it might be a small town, but it's a lot of ideas and innovation. Mm -hmm. um, and we believe University of Florida uh, is one of the stellar uh, co uh, colleges and universities in the, in, the, in the entire United States. So um, we want to be part of that innovation equity, if you will. Uh, and then the selling factory was a, a similar idea is how do we impact and, and provide emotional intelligence growth while at the same time career advancement opportunities. And uh, we built it with an individual by the name of Brad Gamble. He, he graduated from University of Florida, became, um, he was a 20th employee to a small startup here called Infinite Energy. It's about a $50 million company at the time. He was a third salesperson. About seven years later, it was still about this. It was the same, 50 million in revenue, three salespeople. They asked him to become vice president of sales and marketing. And um, he, uh, he took it over a seven year period to about 500 million to 750 million in annual revenue. Wow. About 100 salespeople, 200 distributors left to really help. He understood that some very unique things were happening in Gainesville. Some very uh, dynamic entrepreneurial ventures were happening here and started to learn, uh, help them uh, create uh, sales plans and sales strategies and, and really help them through the sales process. And he realized uh, at the time that all these companies, regardless of where they were, uh, small, medium, large, 
really struggled with the selling process and identifying talent. And we were talking one day, we were friends through some other ventures, and uh, he said, you know, I have this idea. And I said, that's an amazing idea. I said, let's build it. And we've kind of pivoted a little bit, but what it really has become is um, we work uh, to help companies grow business to business by identifying recruiting students through the UFLL uh, experiences, those travel experiences, those everyday experiences that people in would come in so we can get to know them, train them on soft skills, uh, really understand the selling process so they're more um, thoughtful uh, when they're, you know, compassionate and listening. Uh, so it doesn't matter one's major, this provides the tools to really help individuals grow. And uh, yeah, so these are kind of some of the ventures we're, we've on the process. We've created a podcast, the Four Questions uh, podcast. We've created something called the M Project, which is focused on courageous conversations, authentic leadership. Um, and I'm missing a point on this. Oh, service learning. So uh, we're doing a lot of different things. Really, re there's nothing like what UFLL is doing on any campus in the country. And we were just recognized. Uh, I guess I'll brag a little top bit. Top 50? Top 50 uh, of one of the most, uh, <laughs> top 50 uh, of uh, organizations, most innovative organizations in North America for Jewish organizations. And that was by Slingshot? Slingshot. Yeah. So you look at you and your research. Very proud <laughs> of you. Very proud of you. <laughs> Question about you. So what got you to this point? Because when you started, when you were going to college, <laughs> you were science background until the last minute, like you were saying. So what got you from that science background while you were going for that into faith-based? And what, what was the walk to become? <laughs> to become a rabbi, yeah, right? Yeah. So a, I'll give you my quick, uh, my quick background. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm a rabbi, so any quick background is really a long background. <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, um, I'm, a Columbus, I'm a Columbus native, Columbus, Ohio. Went to Ohio State, and one thing led to another. I was in sciences. I did a lot of science. I did it for about three years. Molecular genetics, um, physics, uh, physics. All those great yeah, things. I did all these or OCHEM, and I, I liked it. And then I realized I never wanted to be a doctor. Uh, yeah. I don't like blood, and I didn't want to sit in the lab for the rest of my life. So I said to myself, Well, what do I really want to do? So I ended up wanting to talk on the radio. So I sent all these resumes out to, re to radio stations at the time, and I was fortunate enough to get an, an opportunity to answer phones. And one day in answering phones, and I, I, <laughs> I could tell this story. It's actually kind of funny. I, 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 was, I was really good in college at socializing. I, I got an A <laughs> in socializing. I was, I was fantastic at it. And um, I might have been socializing really, really long and really, really hard the night before my first day on the job answering phones at this <laughs> top 40 radio station. It was a syndicated morning show. So I, I get up at, at 5 in the morning. Uh, maybe or maybe not, I might have slept. Um, and and I, put, I put my jeans on. I put a T-shirt on that said beer, period. And I walked into my first day on the job. And this was it was just kind of, this was a shock jock type experience of what I call is Midwest tame. So it wasn't like to the extent of Howard Stern, but it was still shock jockey in the late '90s. And I walk in, and what typically what people would walk in is is khakis and you know the button down. And I walk in, and they're like, "Who is this guy?" And we start talking on the radio. They thought I was hilarious, and I started doing stunts for them from that moment. So I did crazy man on the street stunts. I. Um, rode a motorcycle through a wall of fire. I, I uh, went on a weather balloon. <laughs> Did you really? Yeah, I mean, completely <laughs> obscure things, the most random things you could possibly imagine. The, the, the saving grace, it was before social media. So it led me to end up going to 
Boston, I, I promoted concerts and then was in media marketing uh, with a media buying firm. And then that led to doing what any eventual rabbi would do who never thought he would want to be a rabbi, which is I dyed my hair blonde, moved to Australia, and I surfed and bartended. Uh, so I, um, and, and right around that time when I was in Boston, I was on the trains. I was wanting to learn a lot. I, I told you I got an A in socializing. And when I graduated college, I said, I can't believe they actually gave me a degree. So I wanted to start to learn a lot of the stuff that maybe I wasn't really focused on in college. So I think I'm a pretty driven, motivated, self-motivated guy. And I just went to the library and started getting books out. And so I read The Communist Manifesto. I read Social Inequalities. I read Nietzsche, Machiavelli, um, and just started reading philosophy after philosophy. What it led to is me starting to get back into my Jewish roots, which I had left really at like 13, 14, 15. I, I didn't think I was going to come back in any capacity. And um, just started reading Jewish philosophy, and, and it led to uh, when I'm 24, 25 in Australia, thinking, what impact do I want to make in the world? And it, I know Simon Sinek, we talked about before, what's my why? I was never motivated by uh, money. I was motivated always by impact. Um, it just so happened that my Jewish roots alongside me learning more deeply about Judaism in those readings um, that I started to realize that I could uh, find a pathway that made sense to me. Uh, didn't mean it was perfect. There's a lot of gray. And once I realized that all these philosophies I was reading, all these Jewish ideas that I was reading, Every time I'd pick up a new book, wow, that's right. But then I'd have to remember that so was the book before, right? And so once I started realizing that there's a lot of gray and that what these philosophers can't understand and what religion, I think, cha challenges itself by, uh, the difference between dogma and human experience um, is once we add the human experience in, now we change the understanding of what it means to understand absolutes and what are the things essential uh, to creating a pathway that can navigate the world in a meaningful way, to find purpose, to find hope, and to find meaning. I, I had that purpose and meaning, and I knew I had a theory that most people probably were like me, probably let go of their religious identity in, in that capacity, and we're going to come back. I, I made a, a decision that I wanted to help the disenfranchised and disconnected, regardless of where they are, and I was so naive that I thought the only way to do it was to go to rabbinical school and become a rabbi. So I went to rabbinical school, I became a rabbi, ended up uh, being a pulpit rabbi for six years in Memphis, Tennessee, in a very large congregation. I was lucky enough to, to work with some um, investment bankers and a lawyer. We created a unique thing called the TI Fellowship, which uh, started this pathway of how we infuse career advancement and relevancy into the, the, the Jewish conversation and the faith conversation. And then led to uh, me, I created a profit company called Conview that failed slowly after 18 months. Um, it's the worst type of failure, slow failure, uh, but it was fun and uh, came here, uh, recruited to come here. And, and the reason I came here was I asked one question, which was, can we start over? Can we deconstruct it and rebuild something new? And we, we did it. We've been working on an episode about the Talmud and uh, talking a little bit about Judaism and stuff like that. So we wanted to ask first, what is your experience with the Talmud? In Judaism, you have the Hebrew Bible, and the Hebrew Bible becomes a proof text for an ongoing conversation, which we can, the Talmud is in, in many respects a 
kind of the internet uh, for the <laughs> for the classic ages is people are constantly talking to each other through generations um, and reinterpreting based upon the modernity of that time and understanding how the biblical proof text lays on to that. What it its core is is that it, it's really the context of this uh, how the Supreme Court is functioned today, right? Is that you have precedent over precedent, and that precedent helps define how a new case will be understood. Is that the Talmud and and, and what there's the Mishnah, the Talmud, responsa, uh, really is precedent to understanding uh, how we can interpret. The what becomes the modern world for that specific time and place. So the Talmud is a, is a very fluid experience. Although the Talmud is set in stone, the interpretation, the conversation, the constant uh, nudging as as there's liberal and 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 more uh, more conservative little seed uh, that that kind of read into it. What's fascinating about the Hebrew Bible is many times individuals talk about the Bible. And the assumption is everybody's reading the same thing. And I just use Judaism, Catholicism, Protestant. All three of them have three different Bibles, even though they all will articulate that we're reading the Bible. And the best way to look at it is if you look at the Ten Commandments, I'll make my, uh, there's, there's a very, are either of you from Alabama? No. Okay. I'm not here to judge Alabama right here. I'm just going to say in front of the Alabama courthouse is a very famous Ten Commandments, a statue or, or piece. And how many, I'll ask the question to you, how many commandments are on the Ten Commandment thing of the Alabama State Courthouse? There's 11. And, and the problem is, is what happens is because Judaism, Protestantism, and Catholicism all split the Ten Commandments differently. And so when you talk about, well, don't we all follow the Ten Commandments? The question afterwards is not an answer, or, or the, the response afterwards is not an answer. It's which one? Judaism, Catholicism, Protestantism. So what happens is, is that the Judaism is only the, the five, first five books of Moses, uh, what's called the prophets, and then what's called uh, extended writings or the writings. Uh, so you have Chronicles, Chronicles 2. Uh, Catholicism ends up adding the Apocrypha. There are 14 books to the Apocrypha. Um, three of them get removed, uh, so now there's 11. And then Protestantism, he says the Apocrypha is not part of the, 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 the cadence. That's all pseudographia. We're only doing five books of Moses, writings, prophets, and then obviously the New Testament for both Catholicism and Protestantism. But how that religion unfolds and the dogma unfolds is how individuals interpret certain things, right? So stories like Isaac and Abraham get interpreted differently between Protestantism, Catholicism, Judaism, or Islam. They, they all get interpreted differently because they're it's all focused on a greater um, dogma, and you need those stories to end a specific way to get to the space at the end, right? Mm. So that's number one. <laughs> number two, if you look at a text, um, a Hebrew Bible, and you look at the English translation, there's a very famous one called the JPS, the Jewish Publication Society. If you open the book to almost any page, you'll find a little thing at the bottom that says, it'll say like A or B in, in a specific English space. It'll say meaning uncertain, right? Mm -hmm. Way I relate that to is if, I, if we pulled out our phones and we looked at each other's texts, <laughs> you would see certain things and you could read it because you read English, right? You read English, you could read what my texts say to my wife. You'd be like, oh, this is... 
they're just having a nice conversation, right? Or I'd read what you guys are saying to whoever and I'd be like, oh, just a nice conversation. But you, we all know that there's nuances. High communication. Uh, yes, that is embedded in there that I can't read into your writings because you are putting things that only the other person know or knows. And that's happening in the Hebrew Bible. We don't know some of the translation because there's been so many translations that have gone through. The third, so in Judaism, Christianity, because there's a lot of times where individuals express, why are Jews not connected? What's the belief of Jesus? What's the belief? Why do they not believe in the New Testament? I think what happens is, is that in Judaism, there's a very famous word, Moshiach, or what translates to Greek, Messiah, right? And the definition of Messiah is very important in what ultimately becomes the, the interpretation uh, for Christianity and the interpretation for Judaism. So Messiah to Jews is just anointed one. That's all it means is anointed one, not God, right? Not God incarnate, not son of God, just a harbinger of peace will be coming, right? Almost like a prophet in some capacity. Peace is coming, God's coming, God's the one who will create messianic age or a time when peace will come, right? So for the Messiah to come to fruition in Judaism, there has to be peace on the world. Now, the difference in Christianity, and this is important in the way the story unfolds with Jesus and the sacrifice, harboring all the sins, is who is Jesus? Jesus is Savior. So Messiah in Christianity becomes Savior, right? And that Savior ultimately isn't just a harbinger of peace, although that is the second coming. It really is about saving souls. That word, Messiah, and the interpretation of Messiah transforms the way Christianity is now unfolded as its own separate religion, and Judaism unfolds as continuing its religious identity. The way Judaism is functions, it's about doing more so than faith, where in Christianity it's about faith more so than doing. And the way Talmud as a law code is bringing about godliness into our world, how do we act in a meaningful and impactful way? That's the essence of the Talmud, is codifying understandings in a modern time to understand how the law of the time functions with the laws of Judaism to see how things constantly ebb and flow and change and, and re, are reinterpreted for a modern time. Examples of this include in the Bible, there are a lot of sacrifices, right? Well, Jews aren't sacrificing. That's not part of our context anymore. Prayer is a sacrifice, right? Being prayerful and that that's, there, there are no uh, goats, pigeons, anything to that extent. It's not a part of Judaism. Just because it's in the Bible does not mean uh, we're not literally interpreting that. That's what the Talmud is, is there for, to basically counteract that piece and, and reformulate it here. The pattern that's kind of cool to me is there's Hebrew scriptures, Hebrew Bible, and then the Mishnah is a commentary on that, and then the Gemara is a commentary on the Mishnah, and then it kind of seems like the conversation, maybe not codified in Talmud anymore, but like has continued so that the faith keeps evolving with the world. That's really the beauty of it is, yeah, at a certain point in time, it was codified. Then you have the Mishnah, 
and then the Gomorrah, which become the Talmud itself. That becomes codified based on a time and place. And then you have what's called the Tosa uh, folk, which then comment on that. And then you have the response. So you have all these individuals, and you have very different rabbis commenting on it. You have French rabbis, a guy by the name of Maimonides, the guy Nachmanides. You have all these individuals commenting, again, creating and understanding the modern what is for them modern, and how do you re-understand it for the modern time? I think one of the strengths of science as a way of viewing the world and as a discipline is that it's very good at taking new pieces of information and data and then synthesizing and adjusting uh, moving forward. And in some ways, it seems like religions in general struggle to do that, but this kind of ongoing conversation has been a big part of Judaism. You know, when it comes to religion, no matter one's religion whatsoever, really we're asking two questions in the religious conversation. Do you or don't you believe in God, or what is your God concept? And what are your beliefs, observances, traditions that you hold on to for that specific connection point? If you believe that there is a mystery of the world, regardless of what that mystery is, right? You can call it science. You can call it superstition. You can call it you can call it God. Call it coincidence. If you believe that there's a mystery, then then we can start to have a conversation of what religion then means because unfortunately what most individuals do is they define that mystery as the only aspect of religious identity which is really just faith and that's one aspect other aspects of our religious identity are we intellectually stimulating ourselves because what we know today is not what we knew yesterday and won't be what we know tomorrow are we are we having values when we go to work or do school do we give back to our community both with our hands and our financial resources? Do we have a love of family and friends? Do we think about our bodies? So when we think about all these, I believe that's, that's a wheel of religion and that sometimes some of those things are full, sometimes some of those things are empty. Our goal, and I believe religion as a whole, is how do we fill up those aspects which are empty? How do we sustain those aspects which are full? And that to me is, that, that, that to me is the essence of, of what we're trying to do. And regardless of what someone understands is their God, their science, their religion, whatever, or not religion, their kind of mystery, work on those other things and we can find greater meaning. And faith is one of those. I'm a big fan of believing that all of us are on a pathway, right? We're all on an individual pathway. And finding our, finding our core pathway allows us greater um, guidance and support as we seek to impact as well as find meaning. I really, I'm Jewish. I'm an ordained rabbi, so I'm going to help individuals through the process that I know, but it doesn't mean that's the process for everybody. There are core understandings of how to, and I believe the goal of religion is to offer pathways. Being conscious of what you eat is important. Judaism lays it out for you that kosher is a, be very cautious of what you eat because what you put in your body is important. It's interesting because Judaism, Yisrael, or an Israelite, it means struggle with God. It means to struggle with this idea of faith. I think we constantly wrestle with it. My hope is to help individuals find their pathway, what we can do, what we can become, where we're going. What our core is is that essence and that work towards a better world as opposed to that essence of I'm right, you're wrong. How can we be embracing of the fact that there are different philosophies and more importantly understand that the framework that can work for us might or might not work for another person but that the framework for us that's okay 
It's meaningful, it's powerful, and it's essential uh, for us personally, controlling what we can control, and more importantly, being a better steward in our world. Could you tell us about the Four Questions podcast? (laughs) (laughs) So it's really the essence of the Four Questions podcast is exactly understanding religion in a modern context. How can we how can we talk with everyday average people doing extraordinary things to understand how we can find greater meaning, purpose, and balance in our lives? The, the essence is we have four, four big questions, uh, but we have a lot of other questions that go around it, and those four questions are the same for every guest. Our hope is that uh, through the podcast, individuals can find what I talked about before, find their kind of spaces where uh, religion is 11 components and how they can constantly sustain and fill up those aspects which they're they're not uh, kind of currently full, but they can continue to gain uh, can gain access to. What would you like to leave our guests with? At my core, and and really what I I hope to emulate and and really be my hope is that we shift from accepting people to embracing people. Accepting means that we are bringing someone in despite their differences or or like. Versus embrace, which is, I really, truly embrace you for everything you bring to the table. We all have quirks, we all have vices, we all have challenges, we all have great assets to bring to the, to the table, and I'm going to embrace you for everything you bring, not despite certain things you have, but because of those things that you bring. And I think if we embrace people, I think we have an opportunity to really affect meaningful change really impact a world in, in an exceptional in an exceptional way and I hope that that kind of moves from every aspect to our lives thank you for listening to this episode of the symmetry podcast if you've had a good time with us please check us out on apple podcasts google podcasts or podbean you can also find us online at thesymmetrypodcast.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash the symmetry podcast. And until next time, Godspeed. <laughs>